Hi guys and welcome back to the Tattoo Business Show, the best place for actionable advice for entrepreneurs. In today's episode, we have Isaac Ho, who is a good friend of mine whom I met during our university days in law school. Isaac is a serial entrepreneur who is a qualified lawyer and an experienced M&A advisor who was formerly from Deloitte. As the co-founder of Allsnap, an events-based instant photo booth business which provides customized backdrops and props for his customers, Isaac will be sharing with us today how he grew his side hustle into a full business. Hey Isaac, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ted, for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So Isaac, you're a serial entrepreneur. Now, can you share what do you find most fulfilling about your work running businesses? I think the most fulfilling part is being able to do what you want and having the flexibility to experiment and validate your ideas. That kind of freedom is something you only get if you run your own business. Yes, there's something very powerful and creative about entrepreneurship that draws many of us in. Now let's take some time to dive into your business, All Snap, which I understand is a photo booth business, which you started during the time we first met in law school. Could you share with us a bit about that? So I run a photo booth company. It's called All Snap. Right. What we do is we provide photo booth solutions and marketing solutions to our clients, be it a marketing event or be it a private event. And our services are really about photo taking and printing of photos on the spot. It could be a brand, it could be a company celebrating their anniversary, or it could be someone's birthday, anything. The only kind of events that we haven't done are funerals. <laughs> Is that on your bucket list? Yeah, that's still on a bucket list, right? But hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> Who knows, right? So Austin has been running for about seven to eight years now. So did you expect such longevity in the business? And how did you come about with this idea in the first place? It was by accident, actually. So my business partner and I were working on something else. It's similar to this website called TaskRabbit, then we weren't getting anywhere because we were still in school and we didn't know anything about starting a business and running a platform. So it didn't get anywhere. And I happened to chance upon the idea of a photo booth and it was trending at the time. So I asked my business partner, like, would you want to try it? Because between us, we had a whole set of camera gear that we could easily use. And that's how it started. And in a week's time, we got our first event in school. So guys, Isaac just shared about the importance of experimentation and of course, the ability to pivot. When you're a new entrepreneur, pay a lot of attention to experimentation and the skills that you pick up along the way, which will definitely be translatable to your next project, which could be the next big thing. So back to you, Isaac, you mentioned when you first started your photo business, the industry was trending. So how did you compete with the incumbents back then? You were not the first in the industry, so you do not have first mover advantage. So what did you do? Yeah, we weren't. There were incumbents in the space. So what we did was to study them and then to identify our own competitive edge, which essentially was about customizing the look and feel of every experience for our clients. So what I mean by that is that the two main things to a photo booth experience, one is the backdrop and the other is the props. So what we focused on was to differentiate ourselves by offering a very customized look for every customer that we had. And it will be tailored to the look and feel of their event. The backdrop will have design elements that will reflect that theme and the props will do the same. And that was our edge for quite a long time because it wasn't done at the time and people were actually learning from us how we did it at scale. Mm, so despite not being the first in the market, you basically managed to edge your way into it um, by finding your own niche and doubling down on it. Yeah, exactly that. And it felt great for people to come to you and say, oh, we're getting you, we're engaging you because we like how your portfolio looks. And it's nice being recognized for that because it tells you that your ideas, your efforts are validated and you're doing something right. And that is something that 
quite a lot of our competitors and even our, the incumbents didn't actually try to emulate. They kind of gave us that space to really milk it and for us to develop our ideas even further and to continue to have the edge. So guys, those were very powerful words that I just shared. Despite not being the first in the industry, he still managed to plant his flag in the industry itself with a bit of innovation and grit. So if you're planning to compete in a competitive market, why not take some time today to think about what are the things that you can do differently with just a bit of innovation that could maybe set you apart from your competitors to give you that edge that Isaac found as well. So Isaac, you grew this as a side hustle in school, but at what point did you realize that this business was real and it was something that you could commit your time to? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, at some point in time, you got to decide, oh, it's more than a side gig and I got to spend more time. I got to spend more money to expand it and to grow it, right? Get marketing costs or staff costs. So to answer your question, the point where we felt that this could be something bigger was when we felt that we had to start hiring people because it's actually beyond just the two of us. When you start to look out for a team, when you feel that you need a team to continue this and to make this bigger, or you start to realize that this is more than just your side hustle. You know, you got to employ people, you got to incur the cost, you got to bring in enough revenue to cover that cost. And yeah, so that was my barometer for knowing that this is more than just a hobby. Now, it sounds like you and your business partner have a very good working relationship. But in your view, how important is it to have a business partner when you're running your first business? So for me personally, I feel that a business partner is is integral to, to running any business because number one, he or she is your number one soundboard, right? You have ideas that you need to bounce off. That person is the first person you go to. And when you have some sort of consensus, when, when you have someone backing you up, it it does a lot of good for you. I think I need a business partner because you need someone who is there with you at any time of the day. At the same level or similar levels of commitment as you will put in the blood, sweat and time to make it happen. He and I shared a history of working together and our mindset really was, let's just have fun. I mean, we're in college, right? So let's just have fun. Let's just see where this takes us. It's really important to enjoy the process and see where this takes us. Now, you clearly benefited a lot from having a very good business partner with you every step of the way. Do you have any advice for a new entrepreneur on how they can find a good partner like you did? I had a good understanding of what he is as a person or how we work together as a team. Your business partner should not be another you. He or she should be someone who brings complementary skills to really help you with it. The focus is not just about the friendship that you have. You can be good friends, but it is a lot more than just being a good friend when it comes to business. You need to have the right dynamic. You need to have the right thinking between the both of you to run a business together. You can be good friends, but good friends don't necessarily become good business partners. So what I mean by that is this person should be someone who you're comfortable confronting and should be someone who you really feel comfortable speaking your mind. Because at some point in time, you're going to have tough decisions to make. You're going to disagree. You're going to have to confront the other person. And can your partnership withstand that? That's the critical part. And just being good friends doesn't mean that you can actually live through those things. And yeah, beyond that, it's really about trust. Can I trust this person to be there for me? And can I trust this person to be there to do what's right by the business and to do what's right by me? Yeah, I think that's really important. It's, it's a judgment of character. That sounds just like dating. Yeah, exactly, right? Dating. You're going to spend a lot of time with this person. So guys, this is a very crucial point that Isaac just shared. When you're starting a business, of course, you want to find someone who can work well with you. But don't forget, 
It goes further than that. The person must have complementary skills to you. It should not be another you. And most importantly, this person must be somebody you are comfortable confronting your issues and working them out. Just like dating, in order to have a healthy relationship with your business partner, you must communicate. So ideally, the person that you're building a business with is someone that you can communicate well with and trust as well. Now, Isaac, let's talk a little bit more about how you differentiated your product. I think the listeners at home would really benefit from this. While customization sounds like a great idea, I'm sure it took a lot of time and effort on the part of you and your business partner to make it work, which is why your competitors probably didn't want to follow suit. How did you continue to scale your business when this is such a time-intensive process? So what we did in terms of customization was to print design elements that we would pin onto our backdrops. So we would actually print those design elements on foam board with our commercial printers and we cut them by hand. That saved us a bit of money. If we had continued with the methods that we were using when we started this, it wouldn't have been sustainable because we were doing a lot of things by hand, which require a lot of time, which require a lot of effort. But to keep costs manageable at a start, you really just got to put in your time and sweat, right? Because hiring people costs money. Outsourcing costs money. So it really was about validating the idea at the start. That was the priority. And only after we knew that we had something going on, did we have the confidence and the the comfort to outsource and spend the extra money, knowing that we would be able to cover those costs when we scale. But eventually we found out about this thing called die cutting. And eventually when we had some traction and some confidence that this was the right way to go. We engaged our commercial printers to do die cutting for us. It did cost extra, but it was done a lot better than cutting by hand. And it wasn't exorbitantly expensive to have those things done. And we felt that spending those monies would really free up our time to grow the business and to spend our time on things that were more productive. That's where we went and it turned out great. And that was such an enjoyable process. Now that was an amazing story you just shared. So basically, at the start, you got your hands dirty with your partner. You did everything from designing and cutting out the props. But when you scaled, you actually outsourced this to a third party who could do it better for a good price. And this freed up your time to do the things that you do best and that's to grow your business. Yeah, it's about efficiency, right? It's about doing what you do best and to prioritize what you do best. Some call it the 80-20 rule, which also applies here. You spend 20% of your time on achieving 80% that will bring in your revenue. And you were probably able to outsource things so well because you got your hands dirty at the start. So you knew how things are supposed to be done and how they can be done as well. You're absolutely right about that. The, the whole point of it is not to be an expert in, in the particular field or in the particular domain. It's about knowing enough so that you can have a meaningful conversation with whoever you outsource your work to. For a few reasons. Number one is to not get scammed by whoever you're outsourcing to. So, you know, we were just talking about web development. And if you have no idea how web development works, and if you outsource your web development from the get-go, uh, there's a risk that your developers might be quoting you for things that you don't actually need or might be quoting you way more than they should have because you don't know what they're talking about. And you'll just be like, yeah, you know what? You solved my problem. I'm happy to pay whatever you're quoting. So you didn't do your homework. So getting your hands dirty is about doing your homework and understanding like what space you're playing in and what you actually need from others. And you don't have to get to a level where you can actually do that work professionally or you know at a very high technical standard. But you need to know at least what's going on so that you can have a meaningful conversation that will eventually reward you. It's the bare minimum, I feel, if you want to get things done to know what you're talking about. Now, guys, I fully agree with what Isaac just said. 
the business is your baby, so you must do your best to learn every aspect of it. You don't have to be the knowledge expert, but make sure that you know enough so that when you're communicating with your vendors or your employees, that they are not able to smoke you or overcharge you or pull a fast one over you. Now, Isaac, can you share with us what was your hardest lesson learned running this business? Well, the hardest lesson learned was managing cash flow. So why I say it was a hard lesson learned, it was because my business partner, I actually had to inject extra capital into the business to manage our cash flow. And I would attribute that to a lack of knowledge and accounting and how things actually work in the real world. So you have credit terms with your customers to whom you give these credit terms to because you're selling on credit. And then you have your suppliers to whom you're paying monies. So your P&L is one thing, right? On your P&L, it might look like your business is profitable because P&L doesn't take into account the timing of payments. But the crunch really comes in when in the most extreme of situations, your customers are not paying you on time, but you have to pay your employees, your vendors, your landlord on time. And when we're talking about the bigger brands who are nonetheless good paymasters because they eventually pay, these are people who actually are more predisposed to stretching their credit terms in relation to you. So they are stretching their payments to us because it helps with their cash flow. But that will mean that it takes a longer time for us to collect our money. So what it means is that your standard credit terms to them may be 30 days, but they may take 90 days to pay you. So we have to manage that properly, you know, be it by negotiating with them or to collect a higher prepayment. It's just about negotiating and you don't always get what you want, but it's just the reality of it. If your customers simply don't pay you, then you got to think of different ways to manage your cash flow. But yeah, cash flow is a huge thing and, and it's something that most people don't actually understand what it means until they do it. What does it mean by managing your working capital? What is working capital even? These are things that you can learn on the textbooks, but in practice, it involves more than just uh, accounting. You know, it involves more than just theory. It's about dealing with people. It's about dealing with counterparties who sometimes may just want to make life difficult for you because they have their own interests to serve. Yeah. So, so that was a very hard lesson because we had to put money in and then we, we took a deep and hard look at what we were doing wrong and then we modified some practices to improve our cash flow. Yeah. Yes, I fully agree. Just because your profit and loss statement, i.e. your P&L looks good, that doesn't mean that you are doing well. You must manage your cash flow because that is the lifeblood of your business. So just because you just sold $100,000 worth of goods, guess what? You may not have the money to pay your employees until your customer actually pays you. And that's where credit term comes in. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I highly encourage you to please take a look at it over Google, get yourself educated to protect yourself. Now Isaac, let's take a little bit of time to talk about your customers. How did you grow your business by getting new and bigger customers along the way? So it's about convincing them that they can rely on you to get a job done. They have not worked with you and they have not worked with you and this is really their opportunity and your opportunity to prove your worth. So how would you do that with a new customer with whom you've had not had a relationship with, with whom you've had not had any work done? It's really about proving your worth and I would say one actionable uh, advice is to catalog all your past works. Big brands are big brands because they have a reputation and they have a reputation that they need to preserve. And they have a certain professionalism and also an expectation as to how things work. At the end of the day, they have the bargaining power and they are engaging you because 
they need to get something done. And what that means is that you need to be reliable to them. So whatever you promise, whatever you've said you can do, you must do and you must follow through with it. So I think it's about developing that kind of culture within your own company to deliver what you promised on and to really show your customers that you can be relied on even when things go wrong and it's not your fault, right? It's about problem solving. It's about adding value for them. It differs from business to business, right? Whatever space you're in, find a way that you can catalog your work so that you can easily convey that to your prospective customer, how you're reliable, how you can get a job done and how you can do it well for them. In, in our particular case, it was about choosing good photos that we can show to our clients, choosing notable projects where we felt that we have excelled in and we are happy to share with them. For those who can see that you're doing good work from your portfolio, they will come to a level of comfort at which they're happy to work with you even for the first time. Right. Sometimes they even break away from their previous partners or previous vendors to say, you know what, I'm willing to give you a shot because I like what I see. Right. So do spend a good amount of time and effort thinking about how you want to catalog your past projects, your past uh, experiences with previous clients, because those are the assets that you need to convince future clients and future leads that you are the person they should choose. Ah, so cataloging your past work and showing them to your new and prospective customers has really paid off. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes if you're lazy, we don't put in the effort then then to catalog our work. One year on, you're definitely going to forget some of the things that you've done a year ago. So when you're done with a project, you review it, you like it, find ways to catalog it. Be it through photos, videos, or testimonials from your ex-clients. Do it. Have the discipline to do it. Because it's really important, it's going to pay itself in time to come when you have to convince someone else who's going to ask you hard questions like, you know what, can you show me your portfolio, right? Or, or like, you know, can you tell me what you have done in the past? And you need to have this whole arsenal of things that you can show to any prospective client so that you can convince them that, yeah, even though your particular project is not something that I've done in the past, it might be a different configuration or a different set of requirements. But based on the precedent that I've built up, based on the portfolio that I can show you, I think you can have the confidence in me that I'm going to find you solutions that will work for you. At the end of the day, it's really about proving to your, your, your leads, right? How you're different and why they should part their money with you and not someone else who's offering it for cheaper. So Isaac, what's your biggest struggle right now? I mean, it's COVID, right? And us being in the event space, it means that events are not happening. But these are things that we can't control. They are a challenge. And the only way around it is to find ways to, to tackle the issue and to find ways to pivot and to find a new demand that we can tap on. So we have started a sub-brand called Yomo, which is called Yoni Mario Once. And what essentially we're trying to do is to bring everything indoors because events are not happening. So we're bringing everything indoors and we're inviting couples to come and do their pre-wedding shoots with us. And to tap on our previous experience with photo booths, right? It's all about bringing that fun experience to couples. Now, Isaac, before I let you go, what is your number one takeaway for our listeners? My number one takeaway is that you never know until you try. You can have all the ideas in the world. You can have the best idea in the world. You can have the best dreams. But until you try, you never know what's going to work and you never know what you like to do. So try, get your hands dirty until you find something that works for you and makes you happy and makes you feel that it's something worth committing to. And then that's where you really know that you've got something going on and the rest is just going to flow. 
Yeah. Now, Isaac, thank you for joining us and sharing your amazing advice. Guys, if you enjoyed today's interview, then make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That's all for me today. This is Ted Teo signing off. <laughs>